The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. The great Sufi master, Mullah Nasruddin, was once asked to speak at a, a local mosque, Sufism being the mystical branch of Islam. And Nasruddin agreed, and he took the stage, and he looked out at the audience, the congregation there, anticipating his speech, and he said, do you know what it is that I'm about to tell you? And the crowd looked at each other, and they said, yes. Well, Nasruddin said, I guess there's nothing to be said. And he walked off the stage. And so the audience was was worried, what do we do to maybe upset Mullah Nasruddin, so they wrote him a letter and invited him back, and Nasruddin agreed, and he took the stage again, and he said, do you know what it is that I'm about to tell you? And this time the congregation looked at each other, and they said, no. And he said, well, I guess I won't waste my time speaking to such an ignorant audience. And he (laughs) left the stage again. So the congregation got together one more time, and they wrote Nasruddin again, he agreed to come back to them, and He took the stage and he looked at them and he said, do you know what it is that I'm about to tell you? And the congregation looked at one another and they said, some of us yes, and some of us no. Well, Nasruddin said, will those of you who know, please inform those of you who don't know, and made his way off the stage once again. All great spiritual traditions have what we call teaching stories, stories of initiation that that help us go deeper. This is just one example. And, you know, one thing that I've learned about the spiritual life is it's not the status quo life. The spiritual life demands a, a commitment to growth, to deepening, to a greater way of knowing our lives. The spiritual life is about being willing to say yes to God, to be willing to put a certain amount of trust in life to lead you to greater and greater levels of understanding. And that's part of where these teaching stories come from. Now, this story about Nasruddin uh, initially looks like a joke about an eccentric preacher. But when you really get to the bottom, it's it's an initiation story about how we think of knowledge in terms of spiritual living. And the lesson is that if you swing too far to the pole of, of knowing, of thinking that you know, you, you miss out on the greater truth that's always there to understand. And if you swing too far to the pole of not knowing into a, a thinking that you're, you're ignorant, you also lose touch with that inner wisdom that's always available to you. So the lesson is, is that the spiritual path is walking a, a razor's edge, a balance of knowing and not knowing. Isn't that pretty cool? I'm grateful today to get to substitute for Dr. Roger and his series today and this month on On Course, Pathways to the Possible, Living the Vision. And Dr. Roger, he's talked about the importance of visioning, the importance of claiming, and today I get to talk to you about initiating. And one of the lines that I love in our new Heart of Mile High is the phrase, healing lives and empowering dreams. Isn't that cool? Healing lives 
and empowering dreams. And just a show of hands, how many people through the spiritual community have experienced a healing in their lives or had a dream empowered? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's a very powerful thing. And, you know, I'd like to, to say that you just come in here and we wave a magic wand and all of a sudden lives are healed and dreams are empowered. But I'm willing to bet that that healing that took place in your life, that dream that was empowered, was more of a byproduct of showing up, of saying yes to living a spiritual path, of saying yes to this teaching, of giving yourself to a power greater than you are. That's how it's happened for me. I've never healed myself that I know, and I've never empowered a dream. It's something the divine has done for me by me doing my work. And the premise is pretty simple. You are a child of God. You are one with God. I know we say that every week, but take a moment to to just think on that for a moment. You are related to something infinite. The same power that made the cosmos made you. That same creative force that brings the oceans to wave and the mountains to their majesty is the same creative power, the same creative presence that's in your life. And if you would only give in to your own possibility, you could apply it and experience that majesty in yourself, in your relationships, in all that you do. And all that it asks of you is to trust All that the divine will ever ask of you is to trust. Embrace me and I will embrace you. I will guide you through joys and through challenges. I will ask you to let go, but I will never let you go. For I am always with you. That's the path of initiation into a spiritual life. But we've got to say yes. And it demands a few things. It demands a willingness for new ways of knowing, for a a deeper kind of listening in your life, and for a greater way of being willing to be intimate with the divine. This first step that I'm calling new ways of knowing. I was sharing about the teaching stories that come to us from from various spiritual traditions. And one of my favorite traditions is Zen Buddhism, where we get the idea of of the koan. And Does everyone know what a koan is? That's like, what's the sound of one hand clapping? It's kind of a, a riddle or an unsolvable problem that a Roshi or a teacher gives you to meditate upon that's not generally supposed to have a a rational answer. Um, The great Houston Smith, who was a Methodist minister himself and a great scholar um, of various faith traditions, he shares about going to a Zen meditation retreat where the only person you get to talk to is the teacher. And when you start off, they give you a, a koan, one of these riddles to meditate on during the week. And at this particular retreat, the Roshi gave him the following koan. He said, The great master 
Joshu, or Reverend Joshu today up here. <laughs> the great Zen master Joshu was once asked by a student, does a dog have Buddha nature? And Joshu answered, moo. What the hell, right? <laughs> let's try, let's try, let's wake up the room a little. Does a dog have Buddha nature? Moo, oh, very good. So Smith did share that the, the teacher gave him a hint that in Chinese, moo actually has a negative connotation. So he had to sit with this koan in meditation for the whole week, thinking to himself, well, the Buddha says that all things have Buddha nature. Why would Joshua say a dog doesn't have Buddha nature? And it started to really frustrate Smith and and he wasn't having a good time, and he was regretting being there. And towards the end of the retreat, he sits down with this Roshi, who at this point just kind of annoys him. And, and the, the teacher looks at Smith, and he says, How you doing? <laughs> just like that. And Smith says, I let him have it. It's cold here. The food sucks. I feel terrible. What kind of koan was that? Are you feeling sick? The teacher said to him, yes, I'm feeling sick right now. I can feel my throat closing up as I'm talking to you. And well, the teacher said, and Smith shares that his total composure changed. What is sickness? What is health? Both are just distractions. And Smith shares, it wasn't so much what the man said, but the way that he said it just seemed to break Smith open. In that moment, he said, he had an experience of of non-duality, of no more separation, of of reaching that point beyond the opposites that our mind struggles with, to have an experience in that moment of a sense of wholeness, a sense of that Buddha nature. Not through solving the problem, but by transcending the mind. Now for me, you don't necessarily need a Zen teacher to find a koan in your life. My life is full of them. Anyone have any relationships in their lives with someone that you might consider a koan? (laughs) How many of us face seemingly unsolvable problems or challenges in their lives? A lot of us. But I like this idea of instead of trying to say, how do I change this person? To ask myself, how is this person like sandpaper for me? How is this person helping me transcend myself? I like to ask myself, not how do I survive this challenge or how do I answer this problem, but how is this situation initiating me into my greater becoming, into becoming a better and more profound version of who I am? Now, if a Zen Buddhist were to read the Bible, and some of them do, they would say that, that Jesus speaks a lot of koans. In the Christian tradition, uh, Jesus speaks in parables. And these are, are stories that are meant to be about helping to teach us about the nature of God. And Jesus does it in this beautiful and challenging way of teaching us the nature of God by challenging the nature of man. He takes practical wisdom and he turns it upside down. You know, a simple example is he says, a shepherd, well, pardon me, the kingdom of God 
is like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and lost one and goes to find that sheep. Now, if you were a shepherd in the first century, you would ask yourself, what the hell is this guy talking about? That's not what a shepherd would do. You have to protect the totality of your flock. But Jesus isn't talking about shepherding. He's talking about the nature of God. This radical and beautiful idea that is still as beautiful and radical as it was in the first century that there is such thing as an unconditionally loving God that cares so much for everyone that she would never let a single one of us go. She would follow us wherever it leads. The kingdom of God is like an owner of a vineyard who went out and hired a couple workers in the morning and told them how much he was going to pay them. A couple hours later, he hires a couple more laborers. A couple hours after that, he hires two more. And at the end of the day, he asked the foreman to line them up from the one that started working last all the way until the one that started working first and goes on to have the foreman pay them all the same amount of money. And the people in the back of the line are pissed. I get pissed just thinking about it. This is wrong, you know, and this is where my buddy says, you see, dude, Jesus was a communist, man. And I say, no, no, you know, we all know Jesus was a libertarian, but um, no. The, the, the story is, is turning the practical wisdom on the head because the idea is that it doesn't matter when you show up to to God. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. You get the whole thing. You get all of the love. It doesn't matter how far you go astray. When you turn to God, God surrounds and whispers to you, I am always with you. It doesn't matter how much stronger or more righteous or how longer someone's been meditating. It's all the same. For all of us, love is the currency of the divine and gives itself unconditionally to all of us who seek it. Isn't that a powerful idea? To experience the the nature of God. And again, all these great spiritual traditions teach us this in their own way. And all of them encourage us to to listen, to listen at a more deep level. And that's the, the second point for initiating today to find a deeper kind of listening in your life. There are a lot of things that I value in life that I love sharing with people. I value my family. I value this church. I value this teaching. I value my spiritual practice. But if I'm honest with you, there are things that I value as well that I'm not as open to sharing. You know, I love getting to have a cold beer and watching little sports at night. I love and value my alone time. And being someone with a fair amount of ego, one of the things that I value most in my life is being right. (laughs) That's sometimes the hardest thing for me to let go of in my life is thinking that I know, thinking that I'm right. And I've learned through spiritual initiation that one of the things that we have to let go of is thinking that we know that we're right. I've learned this in my marriage, too. 
Have you ever had that, the relationship where even though you're absolutely right, you're wrong? (laughs) I, see, sweetheart, I told you I knew where that place was. No, we did talk about this. Here's the email, and I'm still wrong. Why? Because I wasn't listening. Because I wasn't being compassionate. Because I wasn't co-creating in my relationship. I was holding to my own need to be right. And if we're going to go deeper in spirit, we've got to be willing not to be wrong, but to realize that there's more than just pretending that we know in our lives. We have to have the courage to listen. And there are so many great experiences, I'm sure, in all of our lives where life has called us to listen in a more profound way. There's a gentleman by the name of um, Thompson Williams. He, he actually teaches in Jefferson County. And he shares the story with his son about an interaction that he had with his father. His father was a Native American um, leader in the, the Caddo Nation from Oklahoma. And this particular story is when Williams is a young man and there was a, a boy on the playground that, that had special needs and he started bullying him. He was taking bottle caps and he started throwing them at him. And just then he looked around and there his father was standing. And he went, uh-oh, I'm going to be in big trouble. I'm going to get grounded, perhaps spanked, perhaps yelled at. And he approached his father and as he got closer, he saw that there were tears in his eyes. And he looked at his son and he said, perhaps I didn't teach you how to treat others. That is my fault. William shared, you know, he could have stabbed me in the heart and it wouldn't have hurt as much. I don't know. Maybe that's why I became a special ed teacher. My father had a lot of lessons that I hold on to to this day. So here we have a story about a a father listening to his own heart and the boy pulled out of his everyday way of knowing to have a deeper experience to be called forth by his passion to discover his longing. Are you listening to that divine call in your life? Are you listening to the next steps in your spiritual path that God wants to take you? Are we listening as a church or as a country? I'm sure our our hearts break hearing the news of of another school shooting in our country. It's, It's heartbreaking. And I know for me, and this is again an admission, that what I'm called to do most is is to listen. You know, I see it on the news and and my my first defense mechanism is to go apathetic. You know, is to change the channel or try to ignore it. But but spirit doesn't want me to do that. It calls me to to listen. And I know there are anger there's anger and I know there's all all sorts of strong positions. But what I know as well as a society and as a culture to stop this terrible epidemic that's going on, that the one tool that we're going to need more than anything is a deeper kind of listening. One that holds strong in its point of view and its passion, but that doesn't so distrust and so become tribalized 
that it seeks to leave other people out. The solutions may be simple, but it's the listening that's hard. It's the listening that takes courage. And I know we're here, uh, we hear, and there's a lot of truth to it, that the prayers aren't enough and the listening isn't enough. But let us remember as well that prayer isn't passive. That as Gandhi said, used affirmatively, prayer is the most powerful tool in the world. And know that about listening as well. It's not passive. It's active. And when we bring it to a situation, willing to hold our position, but also to be improved, to dialogue, it brings forth courage, it brings forth strength, even in the midst of great pain and great sorrow. And I know we as a country and we as communities can get there. I really do, and I pray and I listen, knowing that that can take place. Sakish Henderson, another Native American teacher, once said, to truly listen, to truly listen, is to risk being transformed forever. To truly listen is to risk being transformed forever. Are you listening to your life? When we are in that place of listening, we move into the final step of initiating that I want to talk about today. Uh, And that's a, a new way of being intimate with life. A new way of being intimate. See, being intimate or being vulnerable, that to me is also not a a passive thing. It takes courage to be vulnerable. It takes courage to be authentic. It takes courage to be present in the moment, to have faith and trust in your life. And to be honest with you, again, I don't always have that courage. I'm a minister, I have a spiritual practice every day, but there are are times in my life where where I'm not committed to my own thriving and growth, but I'm in damage control. I'm just trying to keep things the way they are as long as I can. I just want to protect the ones that I love, I want to take care of myself, I want to go to bed easy at night, I'm afraid of growing, I'm afraid of change, and I, I resonate with that, and I sympathize with people who think that way. But that's not how life works. It's never worked out for me. Life, as I said earlier, is about letting go and realizing that there's a spirit and a presence in your life that will never release you, that is always right there with you. And part of initiating into a greater spiritual life is being willing to let go of our attachment to what is so that we can step more profoundly into our own becoming. So again, when there's a challenge in my life, I don't ask myself, how do I fix this challenge? But how is this challenge initiating me into my greater becoming? When I have a problem in my life, I don't do that, that old religious science thing to do, which is to say, what negative thought or what did I do wrong to bring about this suffering that is taking place in my life. I ask myself, how has my highest self brought forth this situation for me to become that much more what it is, to embody my truth, my virtues, my values, my way of being who I am sincerely and strongly in the world? 
I love something the, the teacher Oriah Mountain Dreamer said. She's, she's not a Native American. She's a white lady from Canada, but she's really brilliant. And she had a dream where she was given the name Oriah Mountain Dreamer. And she had a quote that spoke to my heart the first time that I heard it. She says, this is what I ache for. Intimacy with myself, others, and the world. Intimacy that touches the sacred in all that is life. One more time. This is what I ache for. Intimacy with myself, others, and the world. Intimacy that touches the sacred in all that is life. What do you ache for in your life? For me, I know I love stuff. I love success. I love spending time with people that I love. But this quote resonates with me because what I really ache for, what I really long for, is a way of being so myself with life, so full and complete with my loved ones, so committed to my thriving wherever it leads, that I have a sense and a relationship with the divine and life of trust, of balance, of acceptance, and of enoughness right here and right now. I love that term, open your heart. But what I know in my life is that opening my heart is nothing I've ever done by myself. My heart can only be opened when I get into that willingness to be intimate with experience around me. To have a moment of compassion for someone who's struggling. To have a moment of enlightenment in nature. To really be in that place of listening and openness wherever I am. It's there that I find my maker. It's there that I find the creator of all life. It is there that I find that divine connection. My heart becomes opened and, ladies and gentlemen, it's still opening. It has lots of room to grow. But I know that as I continue to do that work of trusting in life, of trusting in the universe, of trusting in the spirit, spirit to help continue to lead me in my growth, to lead me on my path, that's when that healing comes in. That's when those dreams are empowered. That's where I'm able to help contribute to this life and create that world that I know is possible.